this is my second successful attempt at making an interview. Um, I think it, it works and, and that's not so much my doing as it's because of the magnificence of the topic of this interview, which is Bractate art. Um, but also particularly of the uh, outstanding scholar that I have the privilege of talking to here, which is Teresa Östergren. She's an art historian, presently a curator at an, uh, an art museum in Jutland, and uh, she's recently published this book here, uh, where she makes available her perspective on Iron Age art. Egi uh, Einhammer, it's in Danish. <clears throat> Teresa is like the international cutting edge in research on these little Iron Age medallions and the imagery on them. And astonishingly, she's the first art historian to look at this, this dense, compelling and enigmatic material. And I think she brings an incredibly important eye for what it is about this art that's so unique. Uh, she tells me that Bractates are the first time in art history that Scandinavia has a coherent expression as a coherent cultural area. Uh, area. Um, and when you look at the Bractates, it's like looking into a psychedelically animist magic cauldron with, with these small circular tabro, tableaus, you know, where you see Odinic surrealism and Berserkian initiatory transformation and weird runes and all of this is merging in a form of counter power really where Scandinavians appropriate the Roman expression of social power and poses themselves as a cultural air, air, area with its own power through this very transgressive carnivalesque animism. So it's almost tempting to see this as a visual uh, expression of the big bang of the Nordic culture itself. It's like it's mystic, it's artistically refined, it's relational, and a lot of trains of thought could have actually been followed out of my interview here with Teresa, which I actually don't really feel that it does justice to the depth and rich richness of this topic. For instance, someone should really follow the queer perspective on this form of art, um, uh, which is just one aspect that we spoke about, but uh, which I had to, to edit out because of time, basically. <clears throat> I, uh, I originally got the idea of talking to Teresa in a weirdly roundabout way, actually, uh, because I was contacted by Matthias Olsen from Raunscore Jewelry. And this is one of these craftspeople that really deserves a bit of advertising. He, he makes beautiful and very contemporary renewal of ancient art. And he just suggested to me that we make a bractate of the Raven design, which we did. And that can now be, be found in our shop. And um, that was kind of just the impulse to, uh, for me to think, why not make an interview with Teresa here? But that's more like a little side comment. So please make the effort to follow this uh, interview. It's a little bit of a long haul and perhaps a little bit nerdy here and there, but also in my view, uh, deeply fascinating knowledge that Teresa is presenting. Can you start by just um, outlining a little bit what, what actually is a bractate? Well, a bractate, um, well, they are small round discs made of gold, mostly, 
and they circulate Scandinavian territories in the Iron Age period from 400 to 600, or actually um, 500, late 500s uh, after date. So, mm? and they are quite small. The largest of them by now is like 13 centimeters in diameter. And they are made with stamps, made from one side, so they only have the image placed on one side. So bractates are actually, or bractate, the word is a really sort of technical description of this type of imagery from the yeah. Iron Age period. Yeah. Mm. So, and if I remember correctly, the difference between a bractate and a coin is that a coin is pressed on each side, where a bractate is only pressed on one, yeah. one side. Correct. Yeah. And I think while we're doing this talk, I'm probably going to be showing you somewhere here some of the, in my view, absolutely stunning imagery that are found on these little discs yes. because in my view I mean I've just always been amazed by it and I know that I'm not the only one and this is probably also why there is I guess a whole research tradition of people trying to understand what the actual flip these this imagery is about yeah and can you kind of try to sum up like your main main points on what it is that we're seeing on bractates yes um, first of all I, I think I should say that what my research is uh, about is actually not so much contributing to the uh, interpretation of motives on the bractates my research is actually more like a different perspective on how to deal with them because within the archaeological tradition the normal way of dealing with the bractate is that you first decide, you know, the type of the bractate. You have the A and the B and the C and the D and the F types. Um, and then you describe them and then you try to sort of identify the motive as like an image of a god. Odin is a very popular motive on the bractates. Being an art historian, my take on this is different. I try to approach them as images. That is, um, I try to investigate what happens if you consider the bractate to be the most important source material to the study of the bractate itself. Mm. Um, and what is important to understand, I think, uh, that is that the bractate images are the first time in Nordic art history uh, that we see a, like an independent image tradition pictorial tradition within the Scandinavian territories. What does that mean? That means that before that you, you, you cannot really sort of distinguish what was made in the Scandinavian territories from the hunter-gatherers or you know if you go back further everything is sort of blurred but from mid third uh, no fourth century uh, after deity it, it, it seems like um, the people in the Scandinavian territories begin to develop a distinct visual language of their own. Okay. And you don't see that, for instance, in the Bronze Age? Or no, not in the same way. Okay. Um, they develop a, a specific iconography. Yeah. And that iconography is mainly, or at least to some extent, derived from the Roman image yeah. tradition. But, and that has also been like a main topic in the traditional research, archaeological research within the Bractates, that you sort of trace the Roman motifs from the emperor coins, mm. the Roman multiplier. Mm. 
to the uh, Nordic bracteids uh, in order to show the resemblance between the Roman classic pictorial tradition and the Nordic. Mm. What I'm trying to do is actually to look for the differences. Mm. What happens, mm. what distinguishes mm. the Nordic visual language mm. from the language of the classical Roman mm. period. And it seems to me that the, the differences are rather remarkable. I mean, these emperor coins, from what I've seen of them, they're pretty boring. It's just an image of an emperor. However, when you look at Bracteage, you, you, you look at it and you go like, my brain hurts. Yes, <laughs> yes, you see the, the, the horse on the Roman emperor coin, for instance, uh, get kind of crazy in the Bracteate Victoria mm. uh, world. But there is also something uh, interesting in the aesthetics of the Bracteate mm. because the Roman image is an image of, uh, of power mm. with the static Roman portrait symbolizing the power of the realm as some sort of eternal uh, force to be reckoned with. The Bractates turn everything upside down. Mm. They do not respect classical uh, naturalistic uh, visual language where the head points upwards and the legs point downwards. You know? mm. They just twist and turn everything. Yeah. And you can see that in how these um, loops, loops, whatever, <laughs> the, the loops uh, are mounted on the bracteates that they... Um, did I mansplain you now? Sorry. You, was, you did not mansplain me at all. Okay. It's okay. Um, they are mounted in a way that um, shows that it has not been like um, a motivational force in many of the cases which uh, way the motive orientated itself. Which is? Which is quite remarkable because it's a very sort of um, expressive way of uh, making imagery. But it also, it also, um, well, it sits very well with the motives in themselves because when you look closer at what is actually depicted, what you see is um, this sort of realm of multiple bodies. You see birds, you see four-legged creatures, those who are often interpreted as horses, but if you look at them more closely, you can actually see that many of them are depicted with one foot being like a foot and another foot being with claws. Okay. Uh, you they can also see have horns, don't they? Some yeah. of them have horns, some of them okay. don't. Yeah. Some of the birds have ears like, uh, like uh, bears. Um, yeah. And some of them come out of men's hair. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you have this sort of, very often it's like a threefold body, yeah. with the bird, beast, man. And just to make, yeah. like, so after somebody went through incredible care, or incredible mm -hmm. effort to carve such an image that seems to be merging different beings into each other in rather psychedelic ways, yes. and making a very, very expressive image out of it, then they turn it upside down yeah. and then put a put put the mount that will yes. hang around. Yes. So apparently you have this complete, um, almost like a desire to destabilize and to fragment. Yeah. And and those two words I think are very important when you consider the aesthetics of the Brexit mm. in general, mm. the destabilization, mm. but also the rebinding of yeah. the bodies. I think that okay. is really important. You have this reincorporation yeah. taking place. Yeah. Um, 
especially in the deep ractates, which are okay. the most mysterious category, the most abstract, if you will. Okay. I don't like to use the word abstract. I don't like to work, use the word stylization, because those terms in an art historical tradition um, derive from a naturalistic yeah. image paradigm. You know. I'm just throwing out terms like a hippie. Yeah. Said, did I say psychedelic? <laughs> you you did say and or surrealist. I, but, but psychedelic is an amazing word. Okay. Uh, to try, to, I, I think I, I use it in one of my chapters. Actually, I used to call the chapter the, the psychedelic images. Okay. Then I I, I backtracked and, okay. and now it's and now it's called the, the 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 kinetic image. I think. Kinetic. Yeah. Like like uh, like movement affecting form. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's basically psychedelic. I mean, um, to be um, eccentric, you know, out of balance, uh, to be uh, out of oneself, as you say in Danish, if you are pretty far out, you know. Um, And what happens when you are pretty far out is that you you are able to connect with the world in a different way. And another aspect uh, of that you see in many of the bright states is these sort of extraordinarily enhanced uh, sensorous organs okay. large hands yeah. large noses like large mouths open mouths yeah. people touching themselves in their mouths things coming in and out of their body yeah. through yeah. the mouth large eyes mm. um, so uh, elongated limbs um, um, exaggerated heads exaggerated heads yeah. exactly. um, you said that that, uh, that what you see in this stylistic expression is partly a uh, deconstruction of uh, you said fragmentation but then also followed by a rebinding yes and i i just feel like spitting in here that these are actually main motifs mm-hmm. of initiatory mm-hmm. uh, processes the typically a deconstruction of a person a subject and then a reforging Yes. Uh, typically through forging of relation yeah. and uh, I don't know how if you have gone into the whole thing about bractates perhaps being associated with specific groups and so on but uh, but isn't there something about this that, that there's been researchers who interpreted yes. bractates as symbols of masculine groups, warrior groups or something like that definitely and especially this with initiation rites okay. yeah. or rites of passage yeah. has been uh, a thing and well it's hard to it has it, it's hard to deny I think that that may play a role in it. One of the chapters in in my book is called um, well it's dealing with the liminal yeah. as a threshold between between self and the collective. Yeah. And I think this idea of fragmentation and regrouping mm-hmm. or reincorporation uh, can be understood both as a highly aesthetic mm-hmm. figure, uh, an artistic mm-hmm. figure, mm-hmm. an expressive figure, but also uh, when you consider ritual. And the cosmology in general, mm. the, the, the place of the individual in the community, mm. but also the world as intertwined. Yeah. And how you can manipulate these um, these various, well, structures. Okay. Yeah. Let me just flick in a little comment here that the word liminal means something which is in, in, a, in a borderland between one state and another. And... Uh, cultural researchers often talk about liminality when something is somehow trans- in a transgressive phase. So, 
for instance, when we kind of do crazy things at New Year's Eve, that's a, a simple example, when we, I don't know, wear, put on weird costumes and behave in ways that aren't com completely normal, then it's because we are creating a liminality, a liminal phase between one year and the next. That's just a little note. Yeah, it's called, well, Turner describes it as uh, this state of being betwixt and between, yes. which is a wonderful phrase because it mm. describes um, a space where the normativity mm. of society and or the self and or the body is mm. um, is annulled, at least yeah. for a period of time, dissolved, and then yeah. dissolved, and then you sort of re-enter the world in a different figuration. Yeah. And I think this, with the different differences in figuration, mm. is central mm. to... Um, to the world of the Bractates, and that is also why I have named my book Egi Einhammer, mm. which is Old Norse, and it means, uh, well, Egi is a negation, and Ein means one, mm. Hammer means, um, well, um, it is, in Old Norse, it is the closest we can get to a word that describes... Non-uniformity. <laughs> yeah, but hammer is is a, it, it well it is actually a, a description of a of a, um, the outer shape of the body. Mm. The body has form. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you can you can be hamramer, which means you can be f form strong, mm. whatever that means. You can be stable in your form. Mm. You can like describe a, a distinct uh, trait in the landscape around you as a hammer. Mm. Okay. So there was something about this form, or in Danish form, and. Mm the hammer word, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And the mm -hmm. Egi Einhammer means that which is not of one shape. Yeah. yeah. And it has been used to describe shape-shifting. Yeah. Um, it's very carnivalesque. Yes. It, you're really using carnivalesque thinking, it seems to me, with this, this idea that, that transgression of uh, unambiguous physical form or ambiguous form yeah. pluriform <laughs> or whatever yeah. it's uh, i think it's super fascinating but if you consider when you when you use the word carnivalesque mm. um uh, and the sort of destabilizing uh, destabilization of something stable mm. um then you touch upon this uh, the, the theories of michael Bakhtin, mm. who very much saw the carnivalesque as a, a sort of subversive strategy mm. Mm. when it mm. comes to depictions of power mm. and considering the fact that the Bractates are derived from Roman power imagery mm. it is interesting to see how they sort of visually destroy or subvert the notion of the stable mm. image on mm. the Bractate and then they yeah. uh, through visual means mm. uh, turn everything upside down and mm. this sort of um, well, this sort of self-resting image of the Roman emperor is sort of punctured and yeah. mildly sort of growing yeah. all over the place. Yeah. yeah. So, um, in a way, the Roman coins or multiples or medallions have represented at that time, in especially in uh, the third and fourth mm. uh, century, um, they have represented what power is. Mm. And the idea of what power is has then been yeah. appropriated yeah. into, not imitated, but appropriated yeah. into an, a, a Nordic context. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes something very different. Yes, but it also becomes something extremely powerful mm. that matches yeah. the, or 
maybe even yeah. transgresses the idea of power in the yeah. Roman coin, yeah. which is, of course, uh, well, a totally different kind of power. And I maybe you can help me, Rune, because I need a word here. Uh, you may, might be able to help me with, because in Danish, in my book, I talk about the transition from magtbillede mm. to kraftbillede. Yeah, and, <laughs> no, I see yeah, your point. Yeah. I see your point. Um. Uh, it's basically two ways of defining power mm. or the powerful yeah. um, that has so much in common visually in the Brecht text because mm. it is obvious to see the mm. re- resemblance, but it is also distinctly yeah. different. So I think... Um, what what uh, Teresa, uh, the two words she said would perhaps be... An image of uh, an image of power and an image of force. Yeah. The force is, is sounds a little bit sounds a little bit Star Warsy. Uh, Star Warsy can be good, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so no, but I mean, I, I've I've tried to come up with words as charismatic, perhaps. But charismatic is also something. Yeah, yeah it becomes something. something yeah, it's a bit weird. But I think it's it's super interesting the idea that that the. The, uh, the the image of power that's embodied in the Roman medallions, mm. the body of the emperor, you know that is such a distinct image of power, and it is as if it is torn apart, torn to small pieces, yeah. turned around, mm. filled with weird runes that we can't read together today because mm. they're too weird mm. and merged in with weird beings in all kinds of ways because that's basically what you're saying is happening that is basically what I'm saying yeah. but, but but still it sort of it, it, it contains mm-hmm. it, it keeps the round shape it doesn't yeah. make it all mm-hmm. you know triangular or anything yeah. because the right round shape is very important right. and you can see how the the, the outer shape of the bracket is highlighted within the images mm. they they the figures you know dance around the edges mm. they very much respect this circular space yeah. and that is actually in a contrast as well to the Roman classical language yeah. where the emperor sort of well he continues out of the picture frame yeah. which means it's a naturalistic tradition it's like a snapshot we know yeah. that he, he he is not like only torso he has yeah, legs yeah, as well yeah, they're yeah. just not in the picture exactly. but that is not the case with the Braxis they respect this shape the yeah. circle and somehow highlighted with sometimes highlighted with dots all around yeah yeah no I, f- I find I find the whole topic absolutely uh, astonishing also just the fact that that you're looking at these things and then you're thinking what the flip is going on here yeah. I mean in some of them you can see okay so this is a bird yeah. and it's portrayed with enormous elegance and precision uh, and I almost said abstraction <laughs> but uh, it's but, okay. but on some of them, they're like little figures that seem like they're humans and they look like they're doing something, but uh, what? Yeah. You know, and some of them are half birds and some are something like that, perhaps, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, yeah. No, I, I think the, the, the topic of deconstructing mm-hmm. bodily shape and then relinking it and particularly uh, the, the fact that there are animals involved in, in this stuff. I think that's, that's to me, that seems significant. Um, yes, and I think that is actually one of the most significant visual figures in all of art imagery, mm. not, not only the Brexits, mm. um, but actually also in the burial practices, where, okay. where you 
in the Iron Age, you had different kinds of ways to deal mm. with the dead body. Mm. You could burn, you could bury, you mm. could burn, then crush. You okay. could burn, then crush together with bones from other beings. Yeah. Or you could just, you know, chop a body up and circulate the parts. But you could also let body rot and then insert skull from goat or something. Um, in the, so, so this idea of of bodily decomposition yeah. um, means in itself like a re yeah. reconfiguration of the body, basically. Yeah. Um, that the death part is is inherited. I mean, it's it's like a logical compound of an image that depicts the fragment of the uh, you know mm. what the world is actually made of. Mm. Um, this very at the same time, organic, mm-hmm. with the debrack tapes, with all these circular, circular like shapes mm-hmm. intertwined, mm-hmm. Um, is like this sort of well connectedness. Mm-hmm. But within these bunchling, interlacing ribbon, ornaments, ribbonish <laughs> ornaments in the debractates and now would be a good time to insert an image of a debractate yeah. so everybody can know what I'm trying to, ex- to describe um, you see the, 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 the connectedness and but, but you also see you know, arms and legs and birds and wings and mm. things coming out of these okay. um, so Are these precursors to these interlacing uh, ornaments that you see in, in, in the Later, like a Germanic Iron Age, or yes, that would be that would be my logical guess. Mm. I mean, things come. I mean, when it comes to visual language and modes of expression and images, images grow out of other images. So, so I mean, it, it would be, I have, it would be my logical guess okay. without having investigated it further. Yeah. But, but of course, it shares many similarities. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Mm. Um, you said that that you that you're trying to look at the bractates only from the perspective of making the bractates the main source of the bractates. Yes. Does that allow you to say uh, anything about what does it what does it mean yeah. when there is a deep bractate with a bird on it, mm. uh, or a sea bractate with the typical rider? Am I no, no, <laughs> naming, naming them correctly here? No. Um, uh, does that do you have an, an, an like what like what does it mean to the people who were carrying these things? I don't go with the written text on one hand and then chase the images in the bractates looking for illustrations no. to the written text. No, no. no. In the beginning was the image, mm. not the yeah. word. Yeah. Like it says in the Bible, forget mm. that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, not true. In the beginning was the image. And I quote a Danish artist called Esko Jorn on that. Because okay. he was, really, up, he was yeah. really interested in in our age imagery. And he actually made this huge oil painting in 1965. And he called it, in the beginning was the image. And I okay. kind of liked it. So, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I actually well, have based a lot of my thinking mm. on his thinking. Be, well, because, because he's so mm. original. And he presents ways to deal with imagery that maybe the archaeological tradition is not sort of filled mm. with. And he, he worked specifically on bractates, yes, didn't he? Yes, also, yeah. also that, yeah. yeah. And also this sort of, well, um, this notion that, that images migrate. Mm. 
and 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 that is well gods apparently do as well mm-hmm. but images migrate yeah and they can they are able to migrate between cultures yeah um and they are able to adapt yeah and if they don't successfully adapt then they disappear mm. i think also the i mean when when you talk about appropriation of course it's a super contentious uh term these days when oh, yeah. when people talk about cultural appropriation it's it's usually in a very uh, condemnational mm. way uh but this is in a sense an appropriation you you have uh, a north european uh deconstruction of a power language that mm. takes the tools of this cultural expression the roman coin and recirculates it yes. in a, in in a way that's i mean you could almost call it aggressive towards the roman power language yeah. then well appropriation becomes like an empowerment mm. term mm. and when i began using it with the bracts in mm. relation to the roman um i used it as an opposed term to imitation mm. and that has something to do with that within bracts yeah. research history or tradition like mm. i mentioned earlier uh, unless that is going to be cut out i don't know then um bracts are read through the lens of the roman yeah yeah how they imitate yeah, yeah. how they keep on using Mm. the fireball the toga all sorts yeah. of things and in a way i needed I, i needed an understanding of this migration of images mm. images that broke with the notion of yeah. imitation yeah. i needed a term that placed the agency with the nordic pr- producers of yeah. these images yeah. and of course they they like you say they hijack a visual vocabulary and then they mm. infuse it with their own sort of understanding of what force or power is mm. and then they put it back in and mm. then they carry it around the neck and then they actually present themselves as an opposing power at the same level as mm. the roman and exactly. i mean i think there is some political strategy in it but it, of course it also has all the other con- other connotations and it is really interesting that this very consistent iconography within the bracts mm. were developed like instantly okay yeah um it just emerges it just pops and okay. it, it it's quite strange because well in 320s 50s um that is the date of many of the roman coins we have found in danish burial sites for mm-hmm. example um and that is also around the time we see the first they they call it the archaeologists call them medallion imitations medallion <laughs> iftalina which uh, are considered to be the sort of front runners for the real bracts. Okay. And these medallion imitations, medallion imitations are early bracts, mm. but they are not allowed to be called bracts mm. because mm. they are printed on both sides like a coin. Okay. So they imitate the Roman coins mm. like that. And also it has been noted that they are more sort of crude, uh, a bit clumsy. Mm-hmm. Um and then turns into mm. you know the bracts with their elegance. Mm. Um and if you view it from your perspective yes. of um appropriation I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm careful about this word because <laughs> yeah, it, it really pisses people off yeah. um but uh but uh, as as a an active empowerment language being employed yes. then you could see these early medallion imitations as part of the development process to reach the act, to actually develop this uh image language Definitely. of uh, of empowerment that you see in the rather than if you call the whole thing imitation or if you view it from the perspective of imitation then of course that uh, implements a hi- hierarchy where 
there's the real expression, and then there, there, there are the childish ways of... And then there are the childish ways of trying to depict a horse if you can't count yeah. legs and stuff. You know? And that's not... <laughs> exactly. And that's not how it works. No, you know? no, no, but, no. But if you look yeah. at um, a, a coin of the Roman emperor body, you know, and at one side and the other side you see, I don't know, a, a goddess, like an allegory of mm. the peace of the Roman state or something. Mm. So you have like a full body at, at one side and you have the head mm. on the other side, mm. like the traditional Roman coin. Um, then you have the medallion imitations where you have the head. Mm. And then on the reverse side you have one example where you also have the mm. whole body. But that whole body is not wrapped in a toga. That okay. body is like presented full front uh, with arms like this, with muscles, okay. like this warrior, naked male warrior body, okay. posing, okay. really sort of showing off, <laughs> you know, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think that that is, well, this appropriation process yeah. to sort of, well, create a body yeah. ideal yeah. in your own image, yeah. basically, yeah. by stealing. From the others, yeah, yeah. you know, and um, and that is actually interesting that this process goes on. We we, we don't know many of these medallion mm. imitations. About seventeen, yeah. But um, entering the four hundreds after Christ, it just well, it just clicks. It just falls into place. Mm. This iconography of the bright tapes. You see this. There is no distinction between self and other. This sort of. Um, this group of bodies is like in a complete integration mm -hmm. and it just seems potent in mm. so many ways mm. um, that's the thing about practice they seem so powerful these images yes they do and it, it seems with them like they they somehow depict this moment in time where some membrane to another not another world but necessarily but another sort of um Access mm. uh, a different dimension. I don't know. Mm. They uh, it's happening right then, mm. and they're on this circle uh, of mm. gold, you know. Mm. And and they they fluctuate and they change. And when you hold a bright head in your hand and you go like this, mm. it just the gold makes it just shimmer and shift and mm. change. So it eludes water, it eludes fire, mm. it, it it hides the image and it shows the image, but only fragments of the image. I mean. This is not an image that has been, you know, intended to represent no. something in a clear and, you know, yeah. sort of didactic manner. Mm. This is not. Image. It's an acting image. Yes. So, and and this is to me extremely interesting that you have this, this pictorial object mm. that, in so many ways, even with its own materiality mm. and its own coming to life as this thin round yeah, disc. Yeah. And the secrecy surrounding mm. it yeah. um, sort of well supports the fragmentation going on within the figures and the images themselves. Mm. And if you look closely at these Brexits, especially not on photos, all photos of when they are well color photos, mm. you can see that a lot of effort has been made to differentiate between when you make. Uh, a relief as a thin line mm -hmm. or when you make it three-dimensional mm -hmm. because of the way it breaks light yeah so the visual effect of the shimmering mm -hmm. or destabilization through expressive means of manipulating the gold itself mm -hmm. comes together mm -hmm. I mean those images though they are so refined mm -hmm. that 
I cannot, as an art historian, believe that mm. no art historian before me mm. have showed them any attention because yeah. they are so amazing and mm. they are so complex. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely. I think it's astonishing. Everything you're saying, you're astonishing. Thank you. um, If we think about this notion of how you depict the powerful, I, I need. Well, I think that you. Well, it can be difficult, and I think I know why art historians have such a hard time dealing mm. with pre-Christian or Nordic yeah. uh, imagery. Yeah. Well, first of all, because we lack written sources. Art mm. historians get sad and confused when they don't have you know, literature that mm. the images sort of have a relation to. But it also has something to do with how to understand the sacred, or mm. how to understand the... Um, well, not magic, but how to understand the forceful mm. and powerful. Yeah. Um, because we are so used to, at least in a Christian or monotheistic tradition, to view the human body as mm. the human bodily integrity mm. as important. Yeah. Um, the the antique philosophers had, had it as well. Mm. Um, this uh, that, that the human body is like the measurement of all other things in the world. Yeah. Mm. And then you have the bracteates, mm. you know, mm. where mm. bodies can yeah. exist beyond the boundaries of the skin. And what is that all about? You know, mm. and and is that some sort of a transcendent, transcendent capacity? No, it's not. It's actually imminent. It, mm. it, some mm. m- some people could actually do that. Mm. You know? mm. And I think this un- mm. it is this understanding that what these multi bodies that the bracteates show us mm. um, are not are not sort of um, fantasy images of a transcendent god. Mm. It's a capacity. Yeah. I think, I think within you... the world, the framework of the world, mm. and that is why you could talk about expansion instead mm. of transcending. Yeah. If you, I think I, I think I catch a drift there. Catch my drift. <laughs> I, the, uh, no, I think it's a really good point. We, uh, pe- we, people will tend to to uh, um, expect, look at archaeological finds and tend to expect like school book illustrations. Yes. This is an image of Thor as we would imagine Thor traveling around in his wagon in, 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 a, in a divine world mm. right? but this way of thinking that we, we are projecting an imagination into a divine world yes. that is actually uh, very much not the way of thinking that for instance many non-modern peoples have exactly. uh, be- because deities are not necessarily projections like that no. they, they, they are um, agented subjects in in that that grow in relatedness yes. and that means that like for instance an, an, an image of a priest acting with a mask of anubis in egypt or something like that a priest wearing a mask that might be the most precise image that these egyptians would be able to make of anubis because uh, the ritual reality is the most fundamental so so that is just this is just one example of how images work in a different way than we would tend to think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and when 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 you describe these, it seems incredibly powerful and agented images that that uh, that have this that, that have this super condensed power language in it. Yes. It, it, it I mean it would be very surprising actually if you found. This sort of school book imagery. Ah, okay, so this is an yeah. image of Odin. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, because something else is so clearly all, perhaps also going on. Or, yeah. yeah. 
Definitely, and I think that this is why I also sort of tend to avoid the question, do you think the Brecht takes he picked Odin? Mm. Mm. And, and, well, yeah, possibly, mm. you know, mm. uh, but I, um, I would rather talk about mm. how the images work, what mm. they are doing. Mm. Perhaps you become Odin if you look at it in yeah. the right. In the right. <laughs> exactly. Um, in Erdbygger's saga, uh, they describe two brothers, mm. and they are, th those two brothers are obnoxious. Everybody mm. hates them because they are impossible to work with. Mm. They get fits of fits of rage and and but everybody of course wants them on their side mm. in battle mm. because they're strong and they kill people and mm. it's uh, sort of and that's kind of cool. that's kind of cool. That's kind of <laughs> well at least practical in a way. <laughs> but they are described that they they go berserk mm. um, and then they are filled with rage and then they um, they they become like dogs. They white okay. dogs. They become like okay. white dogs, okay. and then the description is also that uh, in the, in the Danish translation it reads "the uh, menneskelige forlodem." Mm. Um, what humanity left them? Humanity left them, or what makes humans human? Yeah, humanness. Humanness left them. Evaporated. And and what was left them? They had the human form, but you know. Mm. And this is really interesting to sort of meditate on when mm. you look at the images of the Bractates because mm. how do you visualize humanness and mm. animalness and how they cohibit each mm. other's bodies yeah. and um, and when we're talking about this studying Bractates as an art historian mm. with uh, with the book I made I also wanted to make a book that even if you don't agree with me or you think mm. I'm spending mm. too many words on weird things mm. then You, I know that feeling. Well, <laughs> yes. Um, then at least now there is um, some book out there that present the Bractates close up. Mm. I mean, nice photographs, mm. nice mm. representations. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I'm looking very much forward to reading that stuff. And by the way, uh, thanks so much for this. I Thank think you for the opportunity. I'm. Uh, I'm uh, i wasn't really sure if if it was going to work out, but I'm I'm totally fascinated by everything you say. Actually, and I actually have uh, brought a gift for you. Just a moment. Really? Okay. Okay. Guess what it is? No. <laughs> you brought me a bracte. I, I brought I brought you the, I brought you the uh, the Nordic animism bracte. Did you? Which? Oh, be careful! I don't want it to fall on the floor. Oh, this is beautiful. Is not is not it made with the exact kind of loop because that would be very difficult. But uh, I'm looking into the camera to see if. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, since since you since you uh, agreed to just oh, uh, talk to so me here, I just thought. Thank um, you so much. I don't know what you call this type of bread. You would I call think, it. You I would call it a new an, one. I don't. I'm not sure it's there. In, now it's there. You but. would call it an F type. F type. <laughs> if you were, if you were an archaeologist, I think yes. we'll use that on the. Yeah, on the <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> on the hope, there's actually an authentic uh, uh, Proto-Germanic inscription uh, on there, but it, but it's a little bit small. Yeah, it's small. It's a little bit difficult it. to what see. It, what does it say? It says "Hardnas Thorith Runos," which is uh, the actually the title of a medieval song. Uh, about that the raven brings brings runes, so it's oh. is the idea that 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 the uh, that the runes are that the runes connect 
and create reconnection. So it's uh, it's part of the part of the Raven, the, part of my Raven project to have a, a Raven practice. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome, <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us here. And uh, thank you. And see you around, everybody. <laughs> and by the way, one once more, if you're a Scandibuvian, then consider finding this book. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Consider finding this book for for uh, one of the absolutely most fascinating topics of uh, of um, art history ever. Right. So I'll just close this interview also uh, with a little comment because uh, I asked myself while editing it and getting all my own blathering edited out of this one and a half hour talk that I originally did with. Teresa, uh, like what exactly is it that is so animist about Bracteate art? And apart from just saying, well, the whole fucking thing, uh, I just want to note something that I've also spoken a little bit about in other videos, and that is something about the boundedness of, sub of subjectivity, particularly the bounded modern subject. Our contemporary experience of ourselves is encased by the shell thing. We have this enclosure of our body or perhaps our mind where we are inside. And this enclosure is uh, today increasingly sort of sanctified by identitarianisms. Our identities become these sacred things and transgressions of boundaries of sacred spaces are always problematic. They always create the sort of uh, problem, the transgression of something, something sacred. And this is why this radically carnivalesque transgression of cultural and individual boundaries um, doesn't occur with, with the same kind of power and beauty and genius, I think, today. Uh, these rampant identitarianisms on both the right and on the left has made our subjectivities sort of brittle and touchy, which is why we are evolving this sort of trolling slash fragility culture where even the presence of other appears compromising or even abusive to ourselves, really. Uh, this is very, like, non-animist <laughs> and it's the opposite of what you see on the bractates where the individual is being decomposed and like explosively made relational by challenging the bounded individual it's really being made relational and uh, I want to end this by by showing you something this is a contemporary Danish coin which is worth 20 Danish crowns or corner um, it's about three euros or something like that. <clears throat> and it is that bounded, sacred most individual again uh, that perhaps even iconizes identity in this body. You know? Notice that we ended up being Romans again, right? <laughs> uh, this is the image of, on, of the monarch on one side and the symbol of the realm on the other, right? So yeah, I just think we should meditate on uh, the image, imagery of the Bractates and try to take it back. I think visual artists, tattooists, totally, and craftsmen, you know, should really start drawing inspiration from this most enigmatic and powerful art form that I'm aware of from Northern Europe. 
Thanks for listening in and see you around. Yeah.